Welcome to the Legacy Nashville Podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. So we've been in this series on worship called, that was about 25% of the church. Side note, it's up there. We've been in this series called, and it's been absolutely positively amazing. Week one, Pastor Michelle spoke from the topic, worship is a sacrifice. Week two, Pastor Lau spoke from the topic, God's love language. Week three, I had the opportunity to bring the word of God and speak on the topic of the problem with worship. And in that message, we reestablish the foundations of biblical worship through the practical and tangible procession of worship that we see in the tabernacle of Moses. We learned what it looked like to properly approach a king. And one of the things that I said is that, hey, if you improperly approach a king, you're liable to get your head cut off. Right? There's a way that God longs to be approached. And so we talked a little bit about that. And then last week, we continued digging further into the foundations of worship as Will Hart helped us answer the question of our existence and also took us through seven ways that we engage God. Was anybody blessed last week? Amen. Listen, if you call this place home and you've missed any of the past couple of weeks, I know it's summer, people are traveling, I highly encourage you to go to YouTube and to binge watch the messages, okay, for two reasons. Number one, they have been so good. Number two, you want to make sure that you're plugged into what God is doing in this house, okay. I sense in my spirit as I've been praying and as I've been preparing these messages that we are going through a reformation of our theology of worship, okay? In full transparency, I don't fully know what the ramifications are going to be. I don't know. But what I do know is that God is in the middle of it and God is leading it. Amen? So this is an absolutely exciting time in this house. I'm excited for what God is about to do in this house and as a result in this city and in this nation. Let's stand for the reading of the word of God. Does anybody love the reading of the word of God? Does anybody love the word of God? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Today we're going to be going to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 4 through 7. I know some people are like, Deuter who? Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And I'm not going to be doing a big, like, exegetical breakdown of this scripture. Again, this scripture is really going to serve as a guiding light for us today as we explore Worship. Amen. We're on the same page. So let's read together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Come on, let's read that again because that is so good. They call this the Shema. Let's read it together again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall, the Lord your God, with all of your, with all of your, and with all of your, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. The title of my message today is Lessons from a Lover. Lessons from a Lover. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence in this house. Thank you for coming and resting in this place. Father God, in these next few moments, I'm asking that in this space, at this moment, you would provoke our hearts to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There's sometimes when you speak or when you preach that you feel the weight of, the word, of a word. And sometimes that will flesh itself out in different ways. You'll feel passionate, you'll feel emotional, whatever it is. Today I do feel the weight of this word that I'm getting ready to release in this house. And it's almost like, I don't even know what the word is, like bottled up inside of me. And I'm like, Lord, help my disposition as I get this out. Okay? And so, just rock with me this morning, all right? Everything that we've been learning over the past couple of weeks has been very important in the forming of our theology, as I mentioned earlier. I believe that the modern church is in desperate need of a refreshing in the biblical foundations of worship that the Lord has been so graciously revealing to us. Amen? Today, I want to talk about what I consider to be a vital aspect of our foundation of worship. I want to talk about our foundational why for worship. Why do we worship? The foundational why. Somebody say why. Say why. No, don't say why. Say why. There we go. Now, I know there's a number of reasons that, are, that are autom automatically come to our mind. There's a number of reasons why we worship, such as the fact that he's God. <laughs> he's God. Right? And he unequivocally is deserving of our worship. From the moment we come out of the womb to the moment that we go down into the grave and forevermore, he's worthy and deserving of our worship. But I believe that there's a reason for worshiping God that moves the heart of God in an undeniable way. And that's when we worship God because we love him. It's when we worship God because at the core of who we are, within the foundations and the places that we can't even tangibly explain through words, we have a deep affection for the creator of the universe. Has anybody ever been in love? You act different when you're in love. You move different when you're in love. Your thoughts are different when you're in love. I'm going to pray for all the single people in here. Just lift your hands right now and receive it in Jesus. Hallelujah. All the guys, ladies, take a look. Guys, keep your hands up real quick. 
I am so serious. We need to marry more people in this house. Guys, lift your hands up. Lift your hands up. We need to look at Eric Sleagle's like. Eric Sleagle's in the back. He's a hardworking man. Who else we got in here? I promise I'll take care of y'all this morning. I'll take care of y'all this morning. I promise I will. Pete, oh, Petey, stand up, you six foot three tall black man. Look at you. Hit him up after service. He'll be at the Connect Bar. Okay. <laughs> Beautiful black man. The driving force of worship is love. Every outwork of worship from the life of believer, from the life of the believer, must flow from the foundation of love for the creator. This is what distinguishes Christianity from any other religion in the world. Because the worship of most religions is driven by duty and performance. But the worship of the believer in Jesus Christ is driven by, by love. And let me say this with some boldness. Worship that is not driven by a deep embedded love for Jesus will always result in religion and surface level ritualistic outworkings. This was the issue that Jesus had with the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2. He says to them, I know your works. I know your toil. You work hard. And your patient endurance. I know how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. You've got a strong spirit of discernment. I know that you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. But this I have against you. All of that doesn't matter because of this. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. You've abandoned your first love. God longs for worshipers who love him. Not worshipers who come to a building once a week to scratch the itch of their conscience. He's looking for people who at the core of who they are have an affection for him that they can't contain. That's what God is looking for. I love how Will Hart preached the importance of understanding that we exist to be loved by God. And then in response, we love him. And that love for him becomes the driving force for our worship unto him. Our burning passion and love for God is the sweetest incense of worship to him. One of the prayers that I pray on a consistent basis is, Lord, I want to love you more. 
I want to love you more. Father, will you teach me how to love you more? Will you teach me how to love you more? Who's married in the room? One of the things that I've learned about love through marriage is that learning how to love is a process. I remember I got married on that day. I was like, oh, we good for life. We're good for life. We're about to love each other forever. Ken and Sandy are looking at me like, oh, boy. <laughs> and every other person who's been married for like 10, 15 years. It's no different in our relationship with the Lord. It's a process of learning how to love him more. But what's so sad is that so many believers, they come to the altar and give their lives to the Lord. And, and after a few years or months or whatever it may be, the well of their love runs dry. But we have to continue digging this well of love for the Lord that is the fuel of our worship. I want to be so filled with the love of the Lord that, with love for the Lord, that every aspect and outworking of my life becomes worship unto him. And whenever I've prayed this prayer, the Lord has consistently used King David as a practical example of what it looks like to love the Lord with all of my heart, with all of my soul, and with all of my mind, my might. David was a lover of God. You need to look no further than the Psalms to know that. In the study of the life of David, we're given a blueprint of what it looks like to live a life of worship and a found, from a foundation of love for the Lord. And when it came to love for the Lord, I believe that David was a man who was ahead of his time. He was a man who was just ahead of his time. He was a man who was, living in who was living in a covenant but had his heart set in another one. About three weeks ago, we were in prayer room and we hit a vein of love. where We, were just, we just began pouring our affection out upon the Lord. We just began pouring it, pouring it, pouring it. We were singing it. We were praying it. We were doing all of the good things. And then our prayer director, Todd Mendez, took the mic and he said something that blew my mind. He said, did you know that David is the only person in all of recorded scripture to tell God, I love you. In Psalm 18, verse 1, we read David, we read the words of David where he says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Every season of David's life was marked and characterized by his passionate love for the Lord. From the pasture to the palace to the wilderness, back to the palace and to the grave. Every season of his life was characterized by his passionate love for the Lord, expressed in a life of worship. I want to take you all real quick. Before we go back into worship, I want to take you all through seven characteristics that I've extracted from the life of David. Seven characteristics of a lover of God. You ready to receive these? 
What I'm asking the Lord to do today, what I felt led by the Holy Spirit to pray today is that God would provoke our hearts to greater love. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would, he's already descended in this place, he's here already, but that the Lord would leave no heart untouched and unprovoked. I'm praying that we would leave with a renewed love in the core of who we are of the man Jesus Christ. For the man Jesus Christ. The first characteristic is this, lovers of God wake up, with the, wake up in the morning with him on their mind. They wake up in the morning and the first thing that they're thinking about, it's not even their circumstances. It's the heartbeat of who they are. They wake up with Jesus on their mind. Psalm 63 verse 1, we read the words of David where he says, Oh God, you are my God. Early in the morning will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. This is the language of love. My married folks know that there are some things that you say to your spouse that you don't say to nobody else. There's some sweet nothings and there's some words of intimacy that you say to your spouse, to your spouse that nobody else gets. This is what I'm seeing from David here. David is expressing the fact that his whole being is responding to the love and desire that he has for God. I love what Adam Clark in his commentary on the scripture says. He says, what first lays hold of the heart in the morning is likely to occupy the space all day. The first impression, first impressions are the most durable because there is not a multitude of ideas to drive them out or prevent them from being deeply fixed in the moral feeling. Lovers of God wake up with him on their mind. I don't know why, but anybody here that's not, the little bow wow, you just don't know the way you boost up. Across the phone. And you run through my mind like all the time to the point where I just want to lose my mind. That's what I think of in this moment. It's like, Lord, I just want to let you know that you've been running through my mind all day. That from the moment that I wake up, Lord, from the moment that I wake up, Lord, you're the first thing that I think about in my mind. You're the first person who's going to get the affection of my thoughts, Lord. You can have it all. Lord, you have my first thoughts and you have my last thoughts and you have every thought in between. Is this too intimate? The second thing is this, their love for God is cultivated in hidden places. Married couples know that intimacy usually takes place in secrecy unless you're just nasty. Was that too much? Intimacy takes place in secluded places. Intimacy is forged and intimacy takes place in places where the door is closed and the lights are low. Maybe if you're Ronnie, you got some rap music or something playing or maybe something romantic. 
That's where intimacy is cultivated. It's no different with the Lord. Intimacy with the Lord is cultivated in hidden places, in secluded secret places, not just on Sunday morning. But it's cultivated in your room when you close the door and when you turn on them, when you turn on some music and when you get on your knees and when you pour out your love and affection before the Lord. We know that in David's life, we know that in David's life, reading the book of 1 Samuel, that the foundation of David's love for the Lord was cultivated as he was out in the pasture by himself. Caring for his father's sheep, singing before the Lord, and, and, and cultivating an affection for the Lord that carried him through the totality of his life. Intimacy is cultivated in the secret place. Number three, nothing in the life of a lover of God is off limits to God. Nothing in the life of a lover of God is off limits to God. In David, we see this in the spirit, and in David, we see this in the natural. In Psalm 139, verse 4, verse 24, we read him say, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. What David is doing is giving an invitation to God into every single area of his spiritual being. He's giving the Lord permission to have access to everything. Mike Bickle did an exhaustive study of the life of David, and one of the things that he, that, he, uh, that he wrote in this study is that David vowed to dedicate his life to finding a dwelling place for God. His vow included living an extravagant devotion to seek God with all his might, with all his strength and resources, including his time, his talent, and his treasure. Nothing in the life of a lover of God is off limits to God. Number four, lovers of God refuse to give God anything less than their best. In 2 Samuel 24, we jump into a story where David has committed a sin before the Lord. David is repentant of the sin, but the prophet God comes to David and says, the Lord wants a sacrifice. And so David goes to the house of a man named Arona. And David says to Arona, can I use your threshing floor to sacrifice a burnt offering before the Lord? And Arona says, of course, king, come on in. And you know what? I don't want you to pay me anything for any of this. But David responds to him by saying, no, 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 no. I will buy the threshing floor from you for a price because I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord of my God that costs me nothing. One of the foundational tenets of love is respect. It's disrespectful to shortcut love. I kind of had to learn this the hard way in marriage because I'm pretty impatient. I'm pretty impatient. 
And I like just getting from point A to point Z and skipping everything in between. But that's not how my wife is. That's not how my wife moves. And so out of respect for my wife, I've had to learn that love demands my best energy, my best effort, and my best investment. It breaks my heart to see how often we as lovers of God give God our sloppy seconds. Give him our sloppy second energy. Give him our sloppy second affection. It breaks my heart. He is deserving of our best. This God whom we are in love with is deserving of our best in every single area of our lives. Number five, lovers of God love his dwelling place, a.k.a. they love his house, a.k.a. they love church. Let's look at what David has to say about this. Psalm 69 verse 9. For zeal for your house has consumed me. Psalm 122 verse 1. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 1. This is the language of love. This is the language of love. Psalm 131 verse 3 and 4. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord to rest. A dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. David's love for God's house ran so deep that he spent the modern-day equivalent of $100 billion investing into it. Not a milli, a billy. Investing into the house of God. That's how, that's how deep his love for the house of God, because he loved God, ran. It's hard for me to believe people when they say they love someone, but they refuse to place a priority on the prescribed place of meeting that person. And the fact of the matter is that the place that the Lord has promised to meet his people is in his house, church. For part of Sonia and I's relationship, we lived five hours apart, right? And I remember on, a, on numerous occasions, I would get in my car and just drive to Hayes, Kansas. The middle of nowhere. Why? Because I wanted to be in the place where Sonia was dwelling. On occasion, she would do the same. I would show up at my house and she would just be there. God has promised that he will meet his people when they gather in his house. And lovers of God... Love his dwelling place. Number six, lovers of God can't be silent about their love. I love this. Psalm 40, verse 9 and 10. David says, I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord. You yourself know I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. 
Listen, lovers of God have a conviction in their heart to talk about and to spread the news about this great love that they have found. Furthermore, their love, is, their love for God is contagious. As I was preparing, I felt the Holy Spirit uh, ask me to talk to the parents and ask you a question. Do your kids know that you love God? I'm talking about outside of you bringing them on Sunday and dropping them off at kids' church. Do they know through the outworking of your life that you love God? I am sitting here, I am standing here today as a living testimony of what it looks like for a parent to love God and their kid to watch and it be contagious and that love to draw them in. I remember waking up at 6 a.m. in the morning to the sounds of my father on his face, crying out before the law, crying out before the Lord, expressing his love and his adoration for the Lord. I remember sitting at the dinner table and, and my dad not eating and me asking, Dad, why aren't you eating? And him telling me, because I'm fasting. And I said, why are you fasting? Because, and he said, because I love God. And this is one of the ways that I love him. Do your kids know that you love God by the way that you live your life? Number seven. Circumstances don't dictate a lover of God's affection. We read Psalm 63 earlier. Let me say that again. Circumstances don't dictate a lover of God's affection. We read Psalm 63 a little bit earlier, but let me read a few more verses. He says, oh God, you are my God. Early in the morning will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Does anybody want to guess where David was when he wrote these potent words of love and affection? In the wilderness of Judah, running for his life from Saul, with an anointing upon his life and a promise for the Father but this man was out to destroy him. Life has a way of testing affection. Anybody who's married, I've been referencing the married people, you know what I'm talking about. For me, one of the greatest miracles in life, like on this side of the planet, is when I encounter couples who have been married for like 50, 60, 70 years. I'm like, that is a miracle because I know y'all have had to go through a lot of life together. But yes, yeah, somehow, way, you still love one another. Let me bring it a little bit closer to home. Is that okay? We have a couple in our church. A lot of you know them. Named Josh and Nicole Duckworth. Right? Now, Josh and Nicole Duckworth have been married for nine years. They haven't been married for 50, 60, 70 years. But I'm telling you right now, the loss that they have experienced in their lives is 70 years worth of loss. Josh and Nicole have, have lost 
five babies. Three of them were stillbirths. Let me break that down for those who, who that doesn't compute with. She's had to give birth to three dead babies. Now, Josh and Nicole, in my opinion, have every reason in the world why they should or could deconstruct. And why they should or could fall out of love with Jesus, right? But no, through it all, from what I've observed as their friends, their love for Jesus has actually grown deeper. In fact, a few months ago, Nicole wrote a song, wrote and released a song called Faithful. Called Faithful. Reflecting upon the journey that they've been on. Let me read you a few of the lyrics from, the, from this song. Y'all ready for this? Y'all ready for this? If I'm being honest, there have been times when it's been hard to cling to the promise, fighting to keep an open heart. Still, I hear your voice singing over me. Now, Lord, here's my song to join your melody. Lord, I'm so thankful, even when suffering's all I see. Because you have been faithful. You're still working to redeem. In the midst of the pain, Lord, show me your face. And suddenly sorrow turns to praise. Because you are still faithful. You've always been faithful. These are the sentiments of a heart that is in love with their Savior. This is the sentiments of a worshiper who won't allow the circumstances of, the, of life that they have gone through to hinder their worship and their love unto the Lord. In fact, they use their circumstances as an opportunity because of love to remind God who he is to them. This is love. Let's stand. We're getting ready to go into a time of worship where what I'm going to ask you to do is like never before, pour out your love and your affection at the feet of Jesus. But first what I want us to do is I want us to close our eyes all across this room. And I want us to have a moment of self-examination where we honestly ask the Holy Spirit, do I love you with my heart, with my soul, and with my mind? I want you to take the next 30 seconds to think about this. And I want you to allow the Lord to expose any areas in your life that you have been reserving love for him. Oh, Father, I'm asking in the name of Jesus that you would highlight any areas of our life that we have reserved love from you. Because the reservation of love is the reservation of worship. 
Oh, Father, I'm asking in the name of Jesus that you would provoke hearts right now. Oh, I just sense the Spirit provoking hearts right now. I hear the, I, I, I see the Holy Spirit pricking hearts right now. Oh, hearts that have been cold, hearts that have been far from him, hearts that have, the hearts that have just been doing the religious thing. He's provoking your heart right now, and he's birthing a new love in you. I believe it by the power of the Spirit of God right now. Just lift your hands all across the room. If that's you, if God is provoking your heart, I just want you to lift your hands right now. Yeah, continue the work, God. Continue the work. Continue it right now. In the name of Jesus, provoke our hearts to love. Provoke our hearts to love. In the name of Jesus, for those who are new in this house and who are like, I don't know about this love, I pray that you would reveal this love to them like you did to me, my God and my King. In the name of Jesus. Now. Now. The Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at legacynashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.